I've just come back from a run. The indoor soccer season here is starting in a couple of months. And, you know, I'm trying to drag my level of fitness up from the level of, well, let's call it sluggish sofa sitting to something slightly more cardio capable. And today is a beautiful autumn day. I mean, it's all the adjectives that you'd expect. Crisp, four colors, invigorating. And yet, if I'm honest, I, I missed most of it. And it wasn't just that I was experiencing the pain of restarting exercise. At least that wasn't the whole reason. It was that I was in my head thinking about work, thinking about the new book and how to launch it, thinking about all sorts of stuff, trying to figure it all out. And in doing so, just missing the glory of it all. Because here's the thing, sometimes the secret to a good life is realizing it's not all figure outable. I mean, yes, it's true that you are the center of the world, of your world, but it's also true that at the same time, the world continues to turn regardless. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Muriel Wilkins is the author of Own the Room, but I know her best as the host of a podcast for Harvard Business Review called Coaching Real Leaders. In this podcast, she actually coaches real executives in real time for the whole world to hear. Now, one of my favorite quotes has been attributed to Yogi Berra. In theory, theory and practice are the same, but in practice, <laughs> they're not. And Muriel found this to be true about her early experience as a manager. <laughs> When I became a leader and I was like, um, nobody told me this is what it would be like. <laughs> and, and I was and I also was like, hmm, I should have paid attention more to my leadership course at Harvard Business School. And funny story is I, I sent a little bit of an apology note to my le my leadership professor, Jack Gabarro, uh, saying, I'm so sorry, I didn't pay as much attention as I should because now like the uh, 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 is hitting the fan and I need to apply these things. Muriel rose through the ranks of the corporate ladder and when she hit the executive level, she discovered something she wasn't expecting. I realized that the what we all consider the soft stuff was really the hard stuff. Uh, influencing without authority and managing up and being able to communicate in a way that landed well with people and motivating your staff and firing your staff. And, um, and so I realized that, you know, you could have all the best strategic plan in the world and the best financial plan in the world. But if your leadership sucked, <laughs> it didn't really matter. Do you know that proverb, physician heal thyself? Well, one of Muriel's great leaps forward as a leader came when her significant other pointed out something both crucial and slightly embarrassing. When I joined the executive ranks, I think we were in our first year of marriage, maybe it was right before, but it was still a tenuous time, you know, nothing was guaranteed. And I remember I like was complaining, right? About what other people were doing wrong. And he said to me, because he'd seen all this, you know, me moving from stage to stage, he said, you know, did you ever think that maybe you're the issue and not them? So the good news is they're still married. Now, through his words, Muriel realized she needed to take ownership of what she was doing. So she went to conferences, she hired coaches, she learned all she could, and it all helped, but not as much as she wanted. That is what actually 
Um, while at the same time, I was sort of thinking about doing something entrepreneurial, what led me to say, hmm, there must be other people like me out there who need leadership development, but want it done in a way that's really grounded in business. And the, the, whoever the trainer is or the coach or whomever can speak their context. And that's what led me to leave my nice, cushy corporate gig very naively, right? Like hang my shingle up and say, I'm going to coach people, right? Never mind that these people were like 20 years my senior. Still, the learning had to come from somewhere. So Mira had to pick and choose the best information from several people and different sources. I can honestly say I can look at every single boss that I've had and between what they did that was not good <laughs> right. and what they did that was good, I learned Tons of lessons, right? Right, right. Uh, good, bad, and ugly, all good, helpful. Bad, exactly. So a, a, a lot of my learning came from, uh, per particularly back then, came from those who had led me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I, it's not like I went out and said, oh, let me read all the leadership books and, you know, can I be like whomever, right? All the, the, the celebrity leaders. I started looking more for uh, individuals who I admired, who were 10 steps of, in front of me mm -hmm. and saying, okay, what's their blueprint, right? Right. How do they act? Particularly, I was looking for like, again, the soft skills. How do they interact with people? How do they yeah. message things? And, and in particular, there was one and he was, um, he was a partner at the consulting firm that I worked at. And he just had this way of being able to <laughs> drive to results. Mm. But yet you always felt like he cared about you. He was on your side. He, you know, you didn't, he didn't suck the energy out of the room when you, <laughs> right. when he walked in. And to this day, like he's somebody who I still think about when I, when I think about that. So he probably is the, like the, the biggest one. And then yeah. everybody else was sort of a an an an, aggr an aggregate, you know. And and today Got for it. me, it's really my clients, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, and looking at them, and looking at the people that they work with, and then even over and beyond that. Samira, so tell us about the book you've chosen. Mm. So the book I've chosen is uh, called "The Untethered Soul." Nice. The journey beyond yourself. And well, that's interesting because you've just gone about the kind of make my leadership stuff practical and grounded. Yes, I don't yeah. feel like we're reading. I don't think I'd be picking this book up in the business section of the bookshop. Oh, no. I think if you had given me this book 30 years, I would have thrown it at your face. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't meet you 30 years ago. 30 years ago, first of all, you're laughing at me. Then you're throwing things at me. It's, it's a bit of a violent time. Um, right. <laughs> but I think it's an indication of like meeting things, you know, you, yeah. you read things at certain points in your lives and they make absolute nonsense. And then you read them another time and they make absolute sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did this um, book come into your life? Yeah. So the author is Michael Singer. This yeah. book, you know, it would be very hard to pinpoint how the book actually came in my life because I'm a huge believer in things just unfold and unfold and unfold. And eventually right. there you are. Right. But I had, um, been reading different books uh, a couple of years ago, um, sort of expanding on my inner work. And uh, I'd been reading books by Pema Chodron, 
And I've been reading um, and following a lot of the wisdom teachings that uh, Dr. Shafali Saberi uh, shares in her books on conscious parenting. And now she has a more recent one, which is amazing, and listening to a lot of her talks. Um, And just across the board, you know, watching Oprah Soul Sunday, Super Soul Sunday, (laughs) like all that stuff, right? And at the same time, um, sort of starting a practice in meditation, but kind of feeling like, what the heck is mm-hmm. this? Like, I, this is not working for me, right? And I think it was on one of those talks or who, it, it just so happened, somebody yeah. mentioned the untethered soul. I don't even remember who. And I was like, huh, I wonder what that's about. Right. If this person's reading it, I'm going to read it. So I picked it up. I went away for a weekend. And I very rarely read a book from like beginning to end, even though I'm an avid reader, I I, I just can't. And literally, this was my uh, (laughs) getaway weekend during COVID for my 50th birthday, because, you know, my and everybody else who turned 50s plans got shot. (laughs) So I got booked myself a really nice room in a really nice hotel, because I'm like, it's a really nice hotel. So maybe they have no germs, right? (laughs) And I hold myself up. Looks all that scientific thinking, but whatever. Right, exactly. and so I had this book and I read it and it was like, this is the triangulation I needed right? because I was trying to make sense of all these other things that I was reading that felt very high level and very mm-hmm. like, I get it ideal, you know, I get it from an ideal standpoint, but I don't really get it. <laughs> right. So what, what, what became clear in reading this? So this one made it very clear around the power of our mindset Mm. Um, and what it truly means, at least in my view, uh, to feel uh, like you are living, A, and two, what freedom actually means. Right. And so I was, you know, I think I was just at a point in my life where it was, you know, as I've gotten older, my goal has changed from, I just want to be happy to then it evolved to, I just want peace in my life. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And now like in my fifties, I'm like freedom, right? right? That's what it is. But it's a very different definition of freedom than what I would have said freedom was, again, 20, 30 years ago. I'm excited to hear the two pages you've selected for us. But before I do, can you make a connection between this mindset and the sense of freedom, perhaps? Mm. And one of the things that you're known for, which is about presence and building Mm. leadership presence, is is there Mm -hmm. a connection? There's there's a fundamental connection. So as you'll hear in the two pages that I read, right, what your mindset does is constantly narrate what is going on around you Yeah. versus versus you actually experiencing what is the what is, what is happening. Mm. Whenever somebody asks me to coach them around leadership presence or I'm asked to talk about leadership presence, what they mostly are are thinking they're going to get, and they do, is how do I present myself to the external world so that the external world can accept me. Right. Up my charisma, please. Exactly. (laughs) And we talk about all that because, you know, I have to give the people what they want, right? Yeah. But then I always bring it back to, if you look at what the word present 
having presence is mm-hmm. inherent in it is being present. Right. And if you're able to truly be present in the moment of what is happening, only then can you consciously make a choice around how you want to behave or respond or communicate in a way that's most aligned with whatever it is your goals are. Right. And so that's the connection, right? And so it's very, but it's very hard to be fully present to the moment if you have this constant chatter (laughs) that's basically giving you some version of what actually is happening. Well, I'm excited to hear the two pages you've chosen for us. So uh, let me introduce you. Uh, Muriel Wilkins reading The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. So Muriel, over to you. There is nothing more important to true growth than realizing that you are not the voice of the mind. You're the one who hears it. If you don't understand this, you'll try to figure out which of the many things the voice says is really you. People go through so many changes in the name of trying to find myself. They want to discover which of these voices, which of these aspects of their personality is who they really are. The answer is simple, none of them. If you watch it objectively, you'll come to see that much of what the voice says is meaningless. Most of the talking is just a waste of time and energy. The truth is that most of life will unfold in accordance with forces far outside your control, regardless of what your mind says about it. It's like sitting down at night and deciding whether you want the sun to come up in the morning. The bottom line is the sun will come up and the sun will go down. Billions of things are going on in this world. You can think about it all you want, but life is still going to keep on happening. In fact, your thoughts have far less impact on this world than you'd like to think. If you're willing to be objective and watch all your thoughts, you'll see that the vast majority of them have no relevance. They have no effect on anything or anybody except you. They're simply making you feel better or worse about what is going on now, what's gone on in the past, or what might go on in the future. If you spend your time hoping that it doesn't rain tomorrow, you're wasting your time. Your thoughts don't change the rain. You'll someday come to see that there is no use for that incessant internal chatter, and there's no reason to constantly attempt to figure everything out. Eventually, you'll see that the real cause of problems is not life itself. It's the commotion the mind makes about life that really cause problems. Now this raises a serious question. If so much of what the voice says is meaningless and unnecessary, then why does it even exist? The secret to answering this question lies in understanding why it says what it says when it says. It's actually narrating the world for you. But why do you need this? You already see what's happening outside. How does it help to repeat it to yourself through the mental voice? You should examine this very closely. With a simple glance, you instantly take in the tremendous detail of whatever you're looking at. If you see a tree, you effortlessly see branches, the leaves, and the flowering buds. Why then do you have to verbalize what you've already seen? Look at that dogwood. The green leaves are so beautiful against the white flowers. Look how many flowers there are. Wow, it's so full. What you'll see if you study this carefully is that the narration makes you feel more comfortable with the world around you. Like backseat driving, it makes you feel as though things are more in your control. 
you actually feel like you have some relationship with them. A tree is no longer just a tree in the world that has nothing to do with you. It's a tree that you saw, labeled, and judged. By verbalizing it mentally, you brought that initial direct experience of the world into the realm of your thoughts. There, it becomes integrated with your other thoughts, such as those making up your value system and historical experiences. Basically, you recreate the outside world inside yourself, and then you live in your mind. What if you decided not to do this? If you decide not to narrate, and instead just consciously observe the world, you'll feel more open and exposed. This is because you really don't know what will happen next, and your mind is accustomed to helping you. It does this by processing your current experiences in a way that makes them fit with your view of the past and visions of the future. All of this helps to create a semblance of control. If your mind doesn't do this, you simply become too uncomfortable. Reality is just too real for most of us, so we temper it with the mind. You'll come to see that the mind talks all the time because you gave it a job to do. You use it as a protection mechanism, a form of defense. Ultimately, it makes you feel more secure. As long as that's what you want, you'll be forced to constantly use your mind to buffer yourself from life instead of living. The world is unfolding and really has very little to do with you or your thoughts. It was here long before you came, and it will be here long after you leave. In the name of attempting to hold the world together, you're really just trying to hold yourself together. True personal growth is about transcending the part of you that is not okay and needs protection. This is done by constantly remembering that you are the one inside that notices the voice talking. That is the way out. The one inside who is aware that you are always talking to yourself about yourself is always silent. It is a doorway to the depths of your being. To be aware that you're watching the voice talk is to stand on the threshold of a fantastic inner journey. If used properly, the same mental voice that has been a source of worry, distraction, and general neurosis can be the launching ground for true spiritual awakening. Come to know the one who watches the voice, and you will come to know one of the great mysteries of creation. There is quite a lot there, Muriel. <laughs> I mean, as you as you dissolve reality <laughs> around me, it's you know, fine. I chose this because I was like, well, maybe Michael can help me figure all this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a there's a lot to talk about if you want to go there. What, what I mean, you could have picked any of those. You could have picked any book. You could have picked any pages, mm. and you chose those two pages. What's the thunderclap in that for you? I mean, I'll just say personally, right? Like yeah, yeah. a thunderclap for me personally is I remember reading this pas this passage. <laughs> and like, you know, this book, like literally you can you, you read two pages and you gotta take a breath and be like, okay, like what did I just read? <laughs> Lying what, down what, again. What, 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 right? Um yeah. but I remember with this one saying, Can I curse on this show? Mm-hmm. Okay. Holy shit. Like I have, I have expended so much energy of my life mm. trying to um, resist what is actually happening, like not even want to look at it, be in it. 
and somehow control it by, in my case, primarily thinking about the future. Right. And it, it was this moment, right? And that then cascaded into a whole bunch of other things. But that was the moment <laughs> where it was like, I was like, yeah. Like, I, you know, from everything as small as, you know, being, this is the example I use a lot when my friends think I'm crazy. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. I'm like, like, I'll go on a run. Right. Beautiful yeah. trail. But the whole, and there's like a hill in front of me and I'm running. And the whole time that I'm running, I'm resisting the fact that I'm running. I'm like, this is awful. This sucks. This <laughs> is horrible. Oh my God, that right. hill's coming up. And I can't wait for this to be over. And mm. I, you know, I'm going to have brunch after this to reward me for this horrible thing. And right. meanwhile, I'm like completely missing out on the run, right? Yes. <laughs> because the, the run is just the run. So that was my thunderclap moment is like, how much is that truly living? Yes. If you're really so caught up more in the narration Mm. rather than the reality the of yeah. just what is. So here's the dilemma that occurs to me, Muriel. You coach executives. Mm -hmm. You've written a book around owning the room, develop your signature voice, master your leadership presence. There's a lot in that that is about agency, <laughs> that is mm -hmm. about listening to the voice in your head, that is about managing the future, that is about about control. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a lot of what you've read blows the other way. Mm. How are you finding the balance between this insight and what a lot of people would be hiring you for? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I've, I've reflected on that a lot, right? And I actually think where it led me is not that it blows out of the way um, what I work with my clients on or even what's written in the book and everything that you yeah. described, it takes it a level deeper right. in a way that is way more sustainable mm -hmm. than, than the surface of, you know, yeah. here are the steps you can take. And so I can't go, you know, to these two pages with many of my clients. Like I can count right. on one hand, you know, how many <laughs> I can like literally say, read this book, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And there, so it is a, where you are, you know, just in your own sort of personal development path with no judgment, sure. right? So I have to meet yeah, my yeah. clients where they are. I'm very, I'm, I'm very realistic about that. But where it takes it a level deeper is that until you can actually see reality for what it is, like in pure acceptance yeah. without resistance, it is, you are not truly making a choice of what to do next. The narration is making a choice, right? Right. So with my clients, I see my job in coaching my clients is not in telling them what to do. My mm -hmm. job in working with my clients is to help them see the choices in front of them. Right. So that they can decide what to do in a way that's most aligned with what they want for themselves, for their organization, for their team, for whatever, right? But most times where my clients are when I start working with them is they don't see choices. They right. just see one way. And a lot of times what controls that one way is their mindset. 
And so if I can, at the very least, help them open up, have some openness, yes, which requires you to be more present and accept things for, by accept, I don't mean passively, just see things for what they are, then you yes. can make a, they can make a strategic choice, a communication choice, a, you know, whatever it might be, um, that is not out of, out of default, but more conscious. So there, there's that. Right. I think That's the other mindfulness, th- which is a beat between the thing and then the decision. So it's exactly. an active choice exactly. rather than a reactive choice. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing that I see my, my purpose in doing this work with my clients is at the end of the day, you know, I tell them, I'm like, I'm not here to take your challenges away. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help you lead with a little more ease. Right. And so if you can understand how your mindset might actually get be getting in the way of that, <laughs> then we can start working on how do we not just work on the actions, but also work on the mindset piece as well. And let's have integration between the mindset and the actions. That's all I want integration between the two how you know there's a there's a theme in the in what you're saying but also in what you read which is around um notice the resistance so that you can also start letting go of the resistance Mm -hmm. Um, i'm curious to know what what you've stopped resisting and what's changed as a result of that um Gosh, Michael, you got to ask me these like hard, deep questions. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the interesting ones. You know, they're the ones that, that's, that's the one I want to get into. Exactly. Oh, what have I stopped resisting? Um, I have a big part. I mean, I, I will just self-confess, right? Like I'm a, contr- yeah. you know, my, my lower self, small mind is a controller. <laughs> you know, I control right. the hell out of stuff. Right. And particularly about, so I'm a planner. I plan. And when I, you know, planning is really a form of control. Not to say you shouldn't, yeah, yeah. but I get attached to the outcome. Right. And so a big part of my um, things, uh, uh, of some things that I have learned to or, or work through not resisting is how people respond to things. Mm-hmm. Right. My kids are like the biggest teachers of course that's what they're there because, for you know most Go adults in my life your buttons like, right most adults in my <laughs> life like they'll respond in a certain way they'll feel my resistance and they'll adapt right mm-hmm. my 14 year olds are like uh yeah whatever <laughs> keep resisting we don't care we're gonna keep doing what we're doing right? yeah and so you i have i have to notice what am i resisting i'm mm-hmm. resisting their behavior what but it doesn't stop there why am i resisting their behavior and, and deconstruct that. And if I really, really right. spiral down, the reason I typically am resisting it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with some aversion or fear <laughs> or hope that I yeah. have. So a huge, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, something that, and I, I'm definitely a work in progress, but a big part, um, it has been letting go of expectations of others. Mm-hmm. Right. And that has been, doesn't mean you don't have boundaries, but it's been very freeing for me and the other. What's the, 
How, how do you live with ambition? Like, I strive for what you're looking forward to, like, you know, process rather than outcome and be here now. I'm also ambitious, um, mm -hmm. which is a future focused thing. <laughs> like, I've got dreams and hopes and medals I want to win and whatever else, status I want to have. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you find the balance between this giving up resistance, focus more on process rather than outcome and still holding an ambition? Um, I hold the ambition very lightly. Right. Right. Uh, a wise person once told me, by the way, <laughs> the same wise person who said, maybe you should look at yourself instead of everybody else. <laughs> it's My nice partner. that you talk about your husband <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> He'll appreciate um, that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> he once told me, and it was actually, um, I don't know if it was said like in a romantic state when he said this, just so you can get the tone. Yeah. He said, if you hold a flower too tightly, right. it will eventually die. Mm. right and in the process especially if it's a rose you'll bleed also right and so what he was basically saying is you prize and we act there was a, a a flower that we were looking at and i he was saying you prize this don't hold it so tightly right. that you're squeezing the heck out of it but that right. you're also hurting yourself in the process. So when I look at outcomes, this is not to say that one shouldn't have goals or that I don't mm. have goals. I'm very goal oriented. But I set the goal, I set the outcome, I set the ambition. And then I take my and then I do what I can to get there. But I'm not so attached to the outcome right. that if it happens or it doesn't happen, it's going to take my sense of self-worth away. That's the mm -hmm. difference, right? I love the example that Michael Singer says, the sun will come up, or if you think about it not raining, it won't <laughs> rain, right? It's like, I use this all yeah. the time as an example. You know, who am I to be upset or let it affect my mood and my disposition if it's rainy or sunny on a particular day? It right. has absolutely nothing to do with me. And so the outcome should be set. The goal should be set. But there are so many other factors, even though I'd love to believe like I'm the master, you know, <laughs> the person who can I am control, the center of the universe. I am the center it's a of new the Copernican universe. Revolution. Yeah, happen, exactly. Right. Like I'm, you yeah, know, yeah. no, I, not, there are so many other things that will affect that goal that I have. Right. Like mm. when I when I started the podcast. OK. Mm -hmm. Very different. I had a very different posture than when I published my book years ago. My book, I was like, oh my God, it better make me, you know, better do this and this and this and this yeah. and this and that. And it was like, the podcast, I was like, okay, this feels very aligned with what I want to do. I know exactly where, why I'm doing it. I'm not mm. doing it to prove my worth to anyone, even though that's what people thought, right? Um, yeah. And I put it out there and I was like, yeah, I want some ratings and I want some reviews, of course. But I also know fundamentally that regardless of whether one person likes it or 100,000 people like it, Muriel right. is Muriel. Doesn't, doesn't yeah. change who I am. So there's no attachment to, to my self-worth. There's also no attachment to me thinking about the audience. I'm not going to think any 
better or worse about the audience and the listeners for right. given what right. so there there really is no attachment no attachment whatsoever what is the source for your ambitions and your goals where do they come from i mean i think the source of my i mean we really want to get deep here like the source of for for the most part and now i'm sort of mm. turning it into a different you know, way as I mm -hmm. have found my voice and ambition and goals. Um, but for a very, very long time, the source of my ambitions and my goals was that because that is who I needed to be to survive, right? And by survive, right. I mean, as a, you know, coming up as a child into my development years, who I needed to be to feel valued and worthy was to be ambitious and goal oriented and succeed and achieve. Right. And so it was, I, I don't, I, I definitely, I don't blame anyone. I just notice it. I understand it now. And so. And, and now? And well, now, now. Um, yeah. I, I have goals, but they are driven from a very different place. My goals mm -hmm. are much more around there. There is a, there's meaning behind it. And the meaning is not right. around my self-worth. There's meaning in terms of what it does for others around it being an expression of what I think I can bring into this world and contribute in a very right. little small way, right? It, <laughs> I, I constantly think about what is the energy that I'm contributing to every situation. And so whatever work I do, work, non-work, that, that yeah. is what propels me that that is what i don't even want to say drives me anymore it's what moves within me and then is externally mm. expressed now <laughs> when i'm not there and i'm like not conscious i'm right back to damn it like yeah, yeah. why am i not the top one why am i not listed as the top 100 coach right <laughs> like why yeah, you yeah. know why, maybe i should you know maybe i should write another book because so-and-so wrote another book and blah blah blah, blah, blah right like but it comes right. back down to like me forming my my identity it's almost like i don't have an identity without the other which means it has nothing to do mm -hmm. with really who i am right um so yeah. th so there there is a there are chapters in the story of what's behind the the ambition or what's seen as ambition and goals i mean and to be honest it, it's interesting because i have a lot of people who are sort of like how do you do what you do? And how do you get this? And I'm like, I'll be honest, it happened seamlessly. I don't, I didn't try to right. publish a book. I didn't really, you see how I started the business. I didn't strive. Yeah. Whenever I find that I don't strive, mm. it actually works out <laughs> in yeah. a way. It's like how, hold, how tight are you holding the flower? Exactly. 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 Amira, this has been delightful. Um, a final question for you. Mm -hmm. What what still needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation? Well, what drives your ambition? <laughs> oh, that what drives my ambition? Well, I have um about twenty years ago probably I I went through some did some work and came up with a mission statement or a vision statement for myself, which whatever you want to call it. And it is to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. Mm. Now that's a <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. That's you know that's not that great a phrase. Um, um, but actually, at any time, this whole idea of a virus is weird. But you know, for me, 
to, to infect a billion people, a billion is a lot. Um, so it's a, it's a scale of an ambition. The possibility virus for me is around how do you help people have the courage to make braver choices? Mm. So to see that they're at choice, you know, as we were talking about mm -hmm. in the podcast, mm -hmm. um, it's like, have, have, do you see that you are at choice? You're always at choice. And can you see the bolder, more courageous choice? Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the idea of infection means that it, it can't be me touching a billion people personally because I just can't do yeah. that. So it's about how do I release stuff into the world that has a chance of catching on and spreading. And, and it also means that I, I can remove myself from the need of status connected to some of that stuff because it's like, mm -hmm. you know what, you know, the stuff I put out in the world that somebody's using who's never heard of me, never bought the book, never done the thing. They don't know where it comes from. And that's still a, a success for me. Mm -hmm. So I keep asking, basically every now and then I'll just go, all right, if this is what I'm trying to do, what's the next best project that I can think of that might, you know, the language I, I use right now is like, what's, my, what's the next worthy goal? Something that is mm -hmm. thrilling and important and daunting. You know, mm -hmm. thrilling means it lights me up, important meaning it, serves the world daunting me i don't really know how to do it mm -hmm. <laughs> and how do i how do i commit to that mm -hmm. that's amazing well i seem to have done the outro already at the end of that conversation i mean that's the thing with interviewing coaches they inevitably turn the questions back on you but let me finish by asking you the listener how tightly are you holding the flower i mean that is such a lovely metaphor I suspect some of us haven't yet seized the courage to hold the flower, and some of us might be gripping it just slightly too tightly. You can find out more about Muriel at her company website, paravispartners.com. Um, so I'll spell that for you, P-A-R-A-V-I-S, partners, P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S.com. And of course, you'll find her podcast, Coaching Real Leaders, wherever you get your podcasts. If you've enjoyed this conversation about ambition and presence and how to balance that, then you'll also enjoy my recent conversation with Jessica Abel. That's about how to be and how to stay creative. You might also want to check out the very first two pages interview I did with Dick Howard. He's the CEO of Cochlear, a billion dollar company that helps people hear better. Very thoughtful conversation about strategy, culture, and control. And thank you for listening. I always appreciate you being here, you listening to the show. Um, I've always got a small request to make at the end. One is, would you consider um, giving the show a rating on your favorite podcast app? I know it feels tedious a little bit, and it is, um, but it's one of the ways the algorithm says, I'll keep promoting this podcast. Um, and if you like what um, Muriel was saying about presence and about ambition and about coaching, Maybe there's somebody in your life who might like to listen to that too. And I'm always very grateful if you forward the interviews on to another potential listener. Thank you. You're awesome and you're doing great. <laughs>